Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filippovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, it's a, it's a beautiful day here. Penn State is 5-0 and ahead of the bye week, and things are about as, about as lovely as they can be. Is there anything else going on tonight that you don't think is as lovely as Penn State football, Matt? Well, the Philadelphia Phillies can clinch their first playoff berth in, in 11 years. So I'm very nervous. I'm anxious. That's why we're recording right before it. So I don't have time to stew and think about uh, all of the names that I've had to watch during this drought. Names like uh, Nick Williams, Aaron Altair, um, Ross Glode, um, something called Eric Kratz. There's been a lot of bad baseball I've had to watch over the years, and I really just want to go to the playoffs. I I, I, I used to be an intern for the Williamsport Crosscutters. I'm trying to think if anyone who um, – did Cameron Perkins make it up to the Phillies? I do not think so. Does that name ring any bells? Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Uh, the the two big players on that. Unless it's the – is that the family of who owns the restaurant, Perkins? I, I, I'm not certain about that. Uh, but the two guys from that Crosscutters team who were like the big names was one, Roman Quinn, who did famously make it up to the Phillies, and then two, a guy by the yep. name of Larry Green, who uh, turned down the chance to play football at Alabama to take a huge signing bonus from – the Phillies as just like this home run guy and his BP, I would st- sit there and watch it and just giggle. Uh, and then I think he since retired from baseball, but uh, neither here nor there. We're not here to talk about the Philadelphia Phillies or the Williamsport Crosscutters or my beloved Manchester City Football Club. If you are a Manchester United support- supporter who listens to this podcast, LOL. Uh, we're here to talk about the Penn State Nittany Lions, the Nittany Lions, as Matt mentioned. Moved to 5-0 and on the season and 2-0 and in Big Ten play with their 17-7 win over Northwestern. Uh, Matt, I have one general thought from this game. Above everything else, do you know what that general thought is? Uh, the rain is bad to play football in, I'm guessing. You're, you know, you are, you are on the right track. But there is one specific thing about this rain, young, young Matthew, that I want to point out. And that is that... This dude, Bob Wischusen from ESPN, do you know the last time he came to Penn State for a football game? No, but if we're going to go down this rain path, I'm going to guess Buffalo 15. I will give you a hint. It's against the last time there was a lot of rain against a team from that state. From Illinois? No, I know where where Northwest is 20 minutes up the road. Um, Was it 2021? Was it Illinois 2021? Yeah. Was it really? Oh, that's a that's a tough assignment for Wasusian. Bob Wasusian, he seems like a very nice guy, an incredibly nice guy. But also, I'm going to need my man to stop calling Penn State football games because they are not fun when he is calling them. Uh, but otherwise, Matt, uh, despite that, who I think he, I also think Bob Wasusian is very, very good at his job. Uh, other than that uh, little riff there, what are just your general thoughts from this football game, my guess is they're going to have a lot to do with the conditions in which they were played. Yeah. Uh, as far as two score wins go, this is about as gross as you can get. Uh, 17 to seven is just an inherently big 10 West rain score. Um, you know, in terms of things I can take away, it's, it's not much. Um, I don't want to get into the Clifford debate, but I didn't love what I saw out of him and I'm not going to blame the conditions I'm not going to blame his turnover on the conditions the same way I'm going to blame the running backs turnovers on the conditions fair or not. I'm sure. just, I just think that that's, I think Cliff's mistakes were more 
him, as I think the running back's mistakes were more inexperience and wet ball. Um, but, I mean, the biggest takeaway is the defense is still pretty good. They they held a really talented running back in Evan Hole in check, and, you know, they, they got a win. They got more turnovers. I think they're really hitting their stride. Uh, but offensively, I mean, I mean, there's not that much I think we should take away from this because, again, it was just a gross slugfest that Penn State probably loses if this game happened in 2021, and they won it by two scores. So a win is a win is a win, and they get to the bye week 5-0. and Yeah, uh, one thing that we did for today's episode of the pod, and it's kind of going to be the thing that guides our conversation, was we uh, put out on our Twitter account, we wanted listener hot takes. And as you can guess, there was a lot of stuff about the conditions. There was a lot of stuff about the quarterback play. Uh, And one other thing that Matt mentioned in there uh, is certainly going to come up in this too. But it's like I basically have every single thought that you just laid out. Like I think this game was – it became pretty evident early on that this was a survive and advance game. This was a gross, nasty football game. And, uh, you know, I'll try to pull up the stat wall. I talk here, but like, unlike the, you know, there was that one part at the very end of the game where I was like, Ooh, you know what? This is getting a bit tedious. Uh, but for the most part, th- did this feel to you like the Illinois game did at any point? Because to me, I didn't think Northwestern's offense was doing anything well enough other than, you know, one or two pretty fortunate busts in the passing game to ever make me think they were really going to threaten Penn State here. I was afraid that if if the Nittany Lions didn't have that essentially goal line stand in the second half, I thought um, Northwestern would get it, go for two, yeah. and then try to win in a field goal. Because I don't think Northwestern's playing for much other than just you know trying to win every game as as ugly as possible. Like you, right. you don't play for overtime in that scenario. I think I think they would have gone for yeah. two in those conditions um, just to be safe, and, and I would have been very nervous then. Because in that environment, things can get really gross and really weird really quickly. So that was probably the only moment I was really afraid right. this would be a really bad loss. Uh, but once they once they took the stand, once the defense tightened up, uh, once P.J. Mustafer, I think, had his I'm back game in this one. Uh, nine tackles led the team, yeah. which is insane for, for a defensive tackle. Uh, I, I felt a lot calmer. A- after that, it never really felt like it was going to get close again. Yeah, uh, I have the stat here. Uh, first half, Northwestern had 78 yards on 31 plays, and 65 of them came on three plays. Wow. Uh, you know, North. I, I think Northwestern understood that its path to success in this game. I, I know we saw it on their touchdown. Uh, they went right at Abdul Carter and Jalen Reed. They went to the two guys who haven't played nearly – Near, they haven't played nearly enough football mm-hmm. to be able to just immediately recognize it, something, and go for it. They go right at them. They're able to get their one touchdown on that. It was a uh, uh, let me pull it up here. It was a forty-seven yard touchdown. So uh, forty-seven of their two hundred and ten passing yards came on that one play that went for a touchdown. Like I think, and I was you know I mentioned this uh, in our preview pod with our friend Ben uh, Ben Gorin that. Northwestern's path to salvation in this game was we have to get chunk plays. We have to burn this Penn State defense a few times because we saw, Matt, when they tried to run at this Penn State defense, uh, when they tried 
to get into a rhythm against this Penn State defense. Whether it was because of drop passes or because of general Ryan Holinskiness, they were unable to really do the stuff they were setting out to do. Yeah. So defensive side of the football, I thought they had a spectacular game. Yeah. Offensive side of the football, you know, uh, Sean, Sean Clifford had his worst game of the season. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, well there, are, there are two ways to look at this, in my opinion, Matt. One, Sean Clifford had his worst game of the season. The running backs fumbled like crazy. Penn State's offense only scored 17 points. Mm -hmm. And then I would say there's the more optimistic way of looking at this, which is despite the fact that Sean Clifford, you know, did not have a particularly great game. Like, I thought the interception was bad, but at a certain point he was, I believe, 8 for 12 during the game. So ends at 10 for 20. He ends the game two for his last eight. That's not great. But I didn't think he was as terrible as a lot of people thought for pretty long stretches of that game. So you have that part of it. You have the running game still accrued 220 yards. That's the story. The of the game. Penn state ran the ball 58 times for 220 yards. Their running backs ran for about ran for four yards per carry. And yes, they struggled to finish drives, but in the face of all of that, I still think if I told you before the football game, they're going to run for 220 yards. They're going to have 360 yards of total offense that, you know, they're going to convert three for three on fourth downs. They're going to have 21 first downs in the game. You hear that stuff. And then you look at the turnovers and the muck of this game. And I think the pill becomes a little, it's still not easy to swallow. It still wasn't a great performance, but I do think it becomes a little easier to swallow. Yeah. And, and I think a big reason for that is that the group that played the best offensively is the group that we're all terrified of. And that's the offensive line. Like Clifford stayed upright. He, I don't think, got sacked at all. His final stat line They was, played well. Yeah, three carry, or technically speaking, three carries for 13 yards with a long of seven. So Cliff stayed upright. So they're finding that mesh. They're finding the right group of guys, which is awesome to see. And then, you know, Catron Allen was suspended, we think, for the yeah, first time. I think Landon Tengwall played every game today. Every snap. Yeah, uh, Tangwall played every snap. Mm-hmm. We don't want to sit here and say we know exactly what happened because we right. don't know what happened. Right. But we've watched enough college football to know when one guy doesn't play the entirety of a half and then he comes into the game and gets, I, I believe he ended with the most snaps of any running back. He ended with tied with Nick Singleton for the most carries in the game. My guess is we could put two and two together on that one, but, you know, we don't know for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, for whatever reason, Allen doesn't play in the first half. He still ends it with 21 carries, which is tied with Singleton for the most, and over 86 yards. That's a really telling stat line that the staff ran one of their three running backs that gets in the rotation that much in just one half of football. Because there's been times in the past where, Penn State's main running back, mm-hmm. primary running back, doesn't even get to 21 carries. So that just says a lot about what they were trying to do and what you know this coaching yeah. staff felt like they were able to do. And it's Northwestern. Their strength is always going to be up front. So the fact that the staff still felt like it can attack that is promising. So I like what I'm seeing out of this offensive line, and I think it's only going to get better mm-hmm. um, in non-hurricane conditions. Yeah, I w- also, uh, really quick thing that I just counted up uh, Singleton you you mentioned that about uh, Allen getting 21 in the second half Singleton had 17 of his 21 carries in the first half yep. and all four of his carries in the second half came on Penn State's final drive of the game mm-hmm. so just a little interesting thing to note there uh, do you want to get into some hot takes I think he was in the doghouse a bit from the fumbles oh uh, yeah 
Yeah, I mean, we will we will discuss. Yes, I would love to get into that. Yeah, we will we will discuss the uh, we will discuss the fumbles in a second. We will discuss everything in a second. But first, we need to thank the sponsor of this podcast, our friends at Homefield Apparel. Uh, you know as well as we know, Homefield Apparel does a whole lot of really great stuff for college sports fans who want to get the gear that goes with their school uh, premium collegiate apparel based out of Indianapolis. They are from Big Ten country. Their college football team is about to get big and nude against the mighty Michigan Wolverines this weekend. Um, I am not optimistic. Uh, But regardless, the material that they make makes the gear that they give you as comfortable, as unique, and as fun as possible. This entire weekend, I wore my St. Peter's joggers. Uh, They're fantastic sweatpants that pay tribute to the best college basketball team we've nice. ever seen this side of the 2019-20 Penn State Nittany Lions. Uh, if you would like to get your hands on some of their Penn State apparel, they have a Penn State collection of some really great stuff. If you are a new customer, you can use the promo code Roar Lions Roar, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order. Again, promo code Roar Lions Roar, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order. Thank you very much to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's get into some hot takes, Matt. I'm just going to read through them. Uh, we have them sectioned off one after the other. We'll, uh, de- we'll devote as much time as we need to to a given topic. Uh, and first one, I'm grouping together two that I think are kind of similar. One is from Noel, which is the sloppiness and margin meant pretty much nothing because of okay. the conditions. Larry, this is the kind of game we lose past few years. Unsatisfying victory is the mark of real progress for the program. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, I think that we kind of answered Noel's question, which is you and I both think that 90% of this, 90% of the stuff that happened in this game pertained to the conditions would you agree with that yeah for sure I think uh those fumbles probably don't happen in normal conditions um and I think a lot of the defensive turnovers maybe don't happen as um easily let's call it like the the messed up snap and and the blatant overthrow to Jair Brown probably don't happen in normal (laughs) conditions uh but that doesn't mean I don't think Penn State wouldn't have made those you're you're putting a lot of faith in Ryan Holinsky there my friend uh but the second one from Larry, this is the kind of game we lose past few years. Unsatisfying victories, mark of prog- real progress for the program. The game that this reminds me of is that Army game in 2015. Uh, it was, that, that was a game that always just stuck with me because it was a Great gross, game. unsatisfying game. And then after James Franklin had this kind of weird press conference where he said, uh, hey, why isn't everyone happy? We won. We're supposed to be happy after we win, blah, blah, blah. And I say that to say this. Here's the quote that Sh- James Franklin gave about Sean Clifford's performance after this game. He said, today was not up to the standard he normally plays at. He did a great job in the run game. He did a great job managing the clock. But I don't think this was one of Sean's best games. And just like I am for the running backs, I am not going to allow the weather to be an excuse and same thing for the running backs. He said, yes, the conditions were bad, but it does not excuse the ball security issues that they said. So to me, that is the bigger way. This is a sign of progress for this program. Yes. I like, I'm not certain they win this game last year in part because uh, Sean Clifford couldn't move last year, but the big way that I think this game was progress was James Franklin looked at what happened 
looked at the fact that they won and said, we were not good enough today. We won, but that does not mean we were good enough. It does not mean we're playing up to the standard that we know we are capable of. So to me, that was the big, uh, if you want to talk about a step forward that we can uh, look at from this game, Matt, that's the big one for me. Yeah, I really like that this game feels like the first time this season that, how do I want to word this best? A a lot of the James Franklin era Big Ten games against the non-basement dwellers, and, you know, maybe Northwestern is one, you know, going forward, but I don't think they're really in that Nebraska-Rutgers realm just yet. But they've always been a little bit gross. This one didn't feel like it was gross for the usual reasons. Like, it, it felt like it was gross because Penn State was, I don't even want to say beating themselves. They were they were just beat by bad weather. Like, it yeah. never really felt like that to me. So that that's definitely a promising step in the right yeah, direction. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's a weird game. It's a gross game. It's the kind of game that when you play football in the upper Midwest, you're going to have to win at one time or another. And I was really glad to see that Penn State won it because that, uh, again, prior prior to yeah. this, uh, that would have ruined my entire weekend. Uh, next question from our friend Dan. Our sweet son, Nicholas Singleton, was just being a great teammate and unselfish person, allowing the defense to get even better with the extra reps. I, Matt, loved the optimism. Uh, I do as well. Uh, is it accurate? Probably not. Uh, I will say I do like that Nick Singleton. Um, I like that Nick Singleton got to share reps because Devin Ford is, um, I guess, unfortunately, yes. no longer part of the program. We wish him nothing but the best. I think you and I are both humongous Devin Ford yeah. fans. We both, I think, really think highly of that guy. And if he does resume his career elsewhere, I will be rooting for him. Uh, as hard as I've ever rooted for a transfer from Penn State. Uh, But depth now means more. Having that depth is now way more important. So the fact that Singleton didn't have to get 40 carries in the rain because he was benched for fumbles maybe ends up being a good thing. Yeah, the one thing I will say is that, you know, I went back and I watched some of the highlights and I thought Singleton was a lot better than he has been in previous games about just just go to where, where you're supposed to go. Don't try and bounce it and go for 50 yards when you have four or five yards. Uh, I did think he did that a little better than he has in past weeks. And I think that was an important, that's an important sign of progress for him. That is uh, really the one thing I think most Penn state with fans would say, if there was one area where I'm not super happy with how Singleton has performed, it is his desire to break the big one. And I think he was a lot more patient, a lot more willing to take what the defense Mm -hmm. gave him. Um, his touchdown run where he basically just weight roomed, uh, someone on Northwestern's defense. That was, that, that was really cool. But the big thing again, ball security, that's a turning point for him. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. But the big thing is ball security. He just has to be better protecting the football. Yeah. That run was unlike anything I've ever seen him do. Like if you think about sing- Singleton's runs, they're always, he runs by everybody. And then his celebration is nothing he showed a lot of emotion after that touchdown. Yeah. Like you can even see in the broadcast, you can see Juice Scruggs like grinning ear to ear from seeing that kind of emotion. So I think that shows that that's something that he's had to work on and learn how to do. And that was that work coming together in one cool moment. Yeah. I, uh, I completely agree. He had a, he had a good game. He had a, outside of the fumbles. I think he had a really played a really solid football game. Um, 
Moving on to uh, this take from Darian. Rufus the Bobcat is a better mascot than Willie the Wildcat. Um, I don't have a strong opinion here other than to say one time the guy in a Rufus the Bobcat costume punched uh, Brutus the Buckeye. Uh, So that was cool. Uh, I don't know who Rufus the Wildcat is, um, but if we're going in terms of like who has punched somebody, uh, I guess I got to give it to Rufus the Wildcat. Let's get on to the next things that we have, uh, which are, this. It, it's the Sean Clifford takes. Uh, from Patty, Penn State beat writers talk Sean Clifford the same way Sixers podcasters used to talk about Ben Simmons. CJ, if the weather was not so bad, our would have been in the game at some point. Noel, Sean Clifford should be sent to a black site prison for some of those throws. Jesus. Um, I will just start and go really quickly here. Um, so what I'll say about Sean is that, yes, this was his worst game of the season. Um, I think that after that uh, incompletion to Washington, I believe, which was like, that is a throw he has to make, even if I do think Tangwall was getting pushed into him and that kind of didn't let him set his feet. Right after that, there were a couple of just throwaways that I think made some fans a little bit upset that I just don't necessarily think were on him. Uh, But my general point here, and this kind of goes to all of these questions uh, and then kind of just the general Sean Clifford of this all. And it's a take that Donnie Collins of the Scranton Times Tribune said who tweeted when you're five and zero, you have no quarterback country. There may be one in controversy. There may be one in the stands and on the couch in the man cave at home, but there isn't one in the coach's office where it matters the most. And I was just going to say for all the stuff that uh, folks said about uh, Sean Clifford and the hot takes they sent over something that I find really instructive, Matt, is that at no point in the game with how, Sean was struggling, and even James Franklin said after the game that game was not up to up to par, up to the standard we expect for him. We didn't see Drew Auer warming up and getting ready to come in. I think in a lot of the situations that people will reference, uh, Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams at Oklahoma, uh, Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa at Alabama, uh, Trevor Lawrence and Kelly Bryant, uh, Jake Fromm and Justin Fields, all the ones that get thrown out as a potential mirror for this, that backup was getting opportunities in situation in, in like higher leverage situations than when our tends to come in. And I do think it was pretty instructive despite all of that. And fans can think this is a good thing is a bad thing, whatever they want to say. But I think it's very instructive that at no point did we think that did we have any indication that the coaching staff thought Drew Auer was going to come into this football game? Yeah, I, you know my thoughts. Our, our listeners know my thoughts on this whole yeah. ordeal. Um, and, and I think this kind of confirms that this is Clifford's team uh, until they lose. I, I'll still stand by that until they lose, and maybe even at this point until they lose too. So I, it's kind of yeah. time for us to maybe put the Aller talk on the back burner. I don't think it's going to, but I think yeah. it – it, it it may not be uh it may not be as relevant as I thought it was gonna be uh coming out of this week. Yeah, backup quarterback's most popular guy on campus, as we all know. But like I this is a conversation that I wish we could just stop it in general yes. because at no point have we had any indication of this. But I do think the time to revisit it is after the Ohio State game, after Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio State. If Penn State goes, if Penn State goes three and zero during that stretch with Sean Clifford as their quarterback, build that man a goddamn statue on campus somewhere. 
if he goes two and one, Penn State is firmly in the Big Ten mix and potentially firmly in the mix to sneak into the back end of the college football playoff. If he goes one and two, if he goes zero oh and three, then maybe the conversation changes up a bit, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, it leads to uh, the next que- next hot take, which is from Dan. Because of Franklin's loyalty, uh, parentheses, to a fault, Drew Auer will start zero games this season. PSU will then lose a game they should win and floated Maryland as a potential uh, game where that can happen, which, you know, I, I, I will, we'll talk about Maryland as we get closer, but there are some reasons I think to be concerned mm-hmm. there. Um, kind of going back to what we just said one, I, you know, I would still generally probably think even if Penn state goes Oh, and three or one and two, well, if they go one and two, if they go Oh, and three, it's a different conversation. If they go one and two, that stretch. My guess is Clifford is still the team's starting quarterback. Um, lose a game. They should win though, is really interesting Mm -hmm. because do you think we'll say Penn state's supposed to lose to Michigan and Ohio state? Well, just for the purpose of this, of this conversation, can we agree on that? Yeah. Quote unquote supposed to. Yeah. I think, I think those are the only two games they'll be underdogs in. And then, so let's go Minnesota at Indiana, Maryland at Rutgers, Michigan state. Do you think there are any games in there where, having Sean Clifford as the quarterback will be the would would or could be the thing that costs Penn State to lose a game. Depends what Sean Clifford. If we get Northwestern Sean Clifford against Maryland or Minnesota, yes. Um everything else, no. I think Michigan State's the worst team in, in the Big Ten by far. Uh I think the team Penn State plays right before them is worse. Uh but yeah, I mean I think that's I think that's fair. I mean, but also, you know, like we mentioned, let's get to November, see what happens with this next three weeks of football and then see what happens with the quarterback position, because there's, there's the potential that they decide to pull the ripcord. But you know, you, there's also the school of thought. I would say that let's say they do go one and two through that stretch. Penn state ends the season 10 and two Penn state's going to a new year six game, especially because Penn state will end the season going undefeated for the final month of the year. And so much of it in college football is when you lose. So I I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting question, but I don't think Sean Clifford will explicitly be the reason Penn state loses any football games this year. Yeah. I'm not ready to jump off of that side of the coin just yet. Just because I think if he plays like he did against Northwestern against uh, uh, Michigan and Ohio state, especially that is going to be the reason because the defense can keep him in it. Well, well, that I, I disagree to an extent, but that's a conversation for uh, another day, another time. Uh, Noel, another Noel is uh, is from Long Island, so he has a lot of hot <laughs> takes. Uh, it was good that our turnover luck happened to switch it up against a yes. horse. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll let you take this one. This Go is ahead. like a, I hadn't even thought about this. This is the best take I've seen. I think Penn State's the only. <laughs> this is like I, I I saw this stat earlier today. Penn State's the only team in the country to win a five turnover game this year. Like in the sense that they were the ones who had the turnovers. And I think against any other team, that's probably a loss, but this is the best possible team to have it against. And I hope uh, if you had to learn this hard lesson, I am glad it happened in this way. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, I think that's pretty reasonable. Uh, I'm, I'm not a huge believer in the concept of turnover luck just because I think that turnovers are, you know, they can be a make your own luck thing. And I think that when you looked at how Penn state had their turnovers happen, I think, you know, they were, 
with, with the exception of Clifford's turnover, I do think they were generally related to, you know, I will disagree with James Franklin here. I think they were generally related to the elements. Um, so I, I don't know. It's a, it's, I, I will put it this way. I hope Noel is right. And I hope Penn state continues to be the team that we saw in not rainy conditions when it comes to turnovers. Cause that would be a, that would be a really nice development. Uh, Moving on to uh, this take from Lewis, this year's defense is better than last year's, Matt. This is tough. This is really tough. Well, let's, how about this? How about this? Let's go level by level. Let's go defensive line, linebackers, secondary. Okay. Because, um, you know, there's, there's the totality of it. There's, there's the sheer fact that like, the way that they're coached by Manny Diaz is different than how they were coached by. Right. Frank they're more Fry. exciting this but, year, but does that mean they're better? That's the big question. Right. I mean, I think that we saw a few, we saw in this game, the like drawback, so to speak of Manny Diaz's defense. How was Northwestern able to accrue yards? And it was on big plays. Their longest run was 29 yards. They had receptions of 22, 47, 24, 15 and 18. You know, I, I'm not going to plug them into my calculator right now. I will while you're talking, but my hunch is of their 241 yards, that would be most of them. But we also have seen with how Penn State forces turnovers, with how Penn State can create havoc plays, that it's a step up. So let's go level okay. by level. Defensive line, how do you think this one compare? At, at its, so when PJ Mustafer was still around last year, how do you think it compares to last year's at its Better. best? PJ's playing better, I think. He hit okay. his stride. Hakeem Beeman uh, had his coming out party this past week. I think Chop is playing. He, he was great. I think Chop's playing like a top five defensive end in the Big Ten, maybe even the country? Question mark right now. Um, and there's a there's an easy thing that there's an easy thing that you can cite to prove this, and I'm glad that you're not because you know it would make me. Mad. That's why I didn't say who I could cite for it. Uh, and then I mean Tar Tarburton's still Tarburton. Deny Dennis Sutton's getting there. I mean, Vanover, um, I, yeah, the defensive line's better. Yeah, definitively for me. I, I think they lack the just game-wrecking guy of the caliber of Arnold Ebiquette. And I do think, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year we're talking about a guy like, uh, we're talking about a guy like Chop Robinson or Adisa Isaac as that kind of consistent game-wrecker. I mean, Passing down, Ebikete pins his ears back, yeah. and he was able to get out. Like he was able to just create those kinds of plays in the backfield. I think two guys who are underrated in this conversation, what Jesse Lukita was able to give them last yeah. year, like that got him onto an NFL roster, and what Derek Tangelo gave them up the middle is just like that little like little bit of extra beef was something that was really useful. I'm going to kind of cop out, okay. which is I'm going to go back to my take from the beginning of the season which is, you know, I've had it throughout the season. I think that between the start of the season and the end of the season, Penn State's defensive line is going to grow more than any other unit on yeah. this team. And I will say that they are on pace. Their trajectory is to be better than last year's. Uh, we'll see with injuries and stuff like that. But I do think that uh, as of right now, I'd probably take last year's just because Ebikete, Lukita, Tangelo, Mustafer was such a good, they were such a solid defensive line, but I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season, I'm changing my tune mm -hmm. on that. Uh, linebackers, this one's easy. Oh, is it? I think so. Your, your 2021 was better, right? 
I let me let me say this. I think that the guys at the very top in 2021, mm-hmm. Ellis Brooks, Brandon Smith, Curtis Jacobs, were better and will probably continue to be better than Jonathan Sutherland, Tyler Elsden, Curtis Jacobs. What I will say is that if any one of those guys went out last season, I didn't feel especially great about what they had beyond them. But this year, uh, if uh, Curtis Jacobs has to go out, Jonathan Sutherland has to go out, Tyler Elson have to go out, and you get a Kobe King, a Jamari Budden, an Abdul Carter, whomever else in there, I think that's how it's better. But I would say at the top level, no, I would take last year's linebacking. Okay. Um, you know I'm an Ellis Brooks stan. Always have been, always will be. Uh, the, the Abdul Carter of it all is what's throwing me off here. Can I, can I, can I rattle off a hot take right now, Bill? And you let me know if it's too spicy. It probably is. If you're going to try to run it by me, but yeah, go ahead. Abdul Carter's a better linebacker already than Brandon Smith ever was. Uh, I don't know about that because I think Brandon Smith's, uh, I, I think, I think going downhill and attacking the football, uh, Abdul Carter is a lot more because what was the thing with Brandon Smith? He wanted to thud guys. He wanted to try and create that big play mm-hmm. and they would uh, avoid wrapping dudes up. I think I will say that I think Abdul Carter is a more um, safe and secure and like he does stuff he is supposed to do better. Brandon Smith, uh, I think his athleticism, his big play potential, the fact that they would they felt they seem to be comfortable using him in passing as a uh, pass defender. That is something I will give him as a heads up. I, so I don't think he's better yet, but I do like, you know, as, uh, they gave him 11. I think he is on track to be better. I think he might be uh, already. Right now. I mean, he got, he, he got beat for the touchdown and I don't remember that sort of thing happening. I could be wrong. I don't remember that sort of thing happening to Brandon that's Smith, true. but again, that's something that I think will come with experience. I, I think Abdul might be better already. I don't know. It's, I have to really take a step back okay. and really formulate this thought, which I may do in real time right now. Um, somebody made a point in our Twitter spaces post Auburn. And I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I, I can't remember this gentleman's name, but he made a point that if Abdul Carter doesn't get ejected for targeting against Purdue, does that game end differently? Is that a safer win for Penn State? And the more I watch Abdul Carter, the more I think he might have been onto something. Um, it's possible. I, that, like I don't, I don't know, man. Maybe I think I might take this year's group just because I think that highly of current okay. Curtis Jacobs, what we already have in Abdul Carter, and then I think the sum of the rest of the parts can equate to what Ellis Brooks gave them. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I'll go with 22, which I'm, I'm stunned to be saying out loud, yeah. but Abdul Carter yeah. has given me that much confidence. And then that, uh, the secondary, I think you will agree with my take, which is that, uh, this year's secondary is better. Yes. Uh, the only, di- the, the, the difference is like, I think like, I, I wish we had Jaquan Brisker in this secondary cause that guy was, go really Bears. but other than that, like, yeah, I, the secondary is better. Uh, let's move on to, uh, the, our penultimate hot take from Kyle. Parker Washington is better than KJ Hamler. Sean Clifford just can't get the ball to him. Uh, what do you think about that one, Matt? Better receiver? Yes. Better playmaker? No. I'm, I'm inclined to disagree okay. with that just because, well, it, it it's a tough question. It is really hard. This is a great question. I don't, I don't think. I don't think Parker Washington, I don't think he can do what KJ Hamler did 
against Ohio State in 2018, where he runs that slant and just takes it 95 yes. yards. I don't think he can do what KJ Hamler did against uh, Maryland, where he catches a pass and slaloms through their defense and gets into the end zone. Like, I just think KJ Hamler's speed and agility and explosiveness, and something that I have mentioned on this podcast plenty of times. Uh, my fear about the inability of the receivers to kind of take the top off and create that uh, that thing in the passing game. I, I I think Parker Washington, just like he can't do that. He can't do that stuff. What I will say about Parker is his refinement as a route runner and his hands are both very, very good. I think he and KJ are almost different kinds of receivers yes. because I think that I think that Parker – you know, very lazy comparison, one that I'm just coming off the top of my head. I think Parker is like the Wes Welker, where his technique and his route running ability and his hands make him just such a surefire receiver. But I think KJ was more of like, you know, the guy who can just create a big play out of nothing. Uh, Sean Clifford just can't get the ball to him. It's actually interesting because Sean Clifford's best pass of the day was a deep shot to Parker Washington for 43 yards when he dropped it in the bucket for him. <laughs> so I do I, I do disagree. Cliff's problem's never been he can't make throws. It's that he makes bad decisions on what throws to make. Yeah. Like, I disagree with that part of the question. Too. Yeah, I mean, if uh, it was a, a point made uh, by Thomas Frank Carr over at BWI, but, like, Clifford's deep ball accuracy the first – four or five weeks, four weeks of the season was something like single digits or low double digits. When in past years, it was slightly above average. So I do disagree with that, but uh, I will, I will say KJ. I, th- I do think KJ is the answer to that. Okay. I'm going P-Dub. Cool. And last one, uh, before we get into uh, game balls and just generally how we feel. And Justin said, Franklin has turned the corner as a coach and will compete for a big 10 slide title slash playoff berth in the next three years. Love this question. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's a big picture question. What I will say about Franklin is I think people always want to, you know, they want to do frames jangling. They want to talk about how bad he is as an Indian coach, blah, blah, blah. I don't think there have been any situations this season where I felt like James Franklin hurt Penn state as a coach. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree. Like there wasn't a, a boneheaded timeout or clock management decision. Unless there's something I can't think of and you recall. No, it's still early though. Sure. Still early. So what are we talking about James Franklin as a coach? If he's giving, he's handed off the offense to Mike Yersich, if he's handed off the defense to Manny Diaz, if he's not messing, if he's not, you know, messing up, uh, you know, doing the James Franklin moment or whatever thing, what are we talking about him as a coach? We're then talking about the stuff that we've always trusted him on, which is recruiting, building a program, uh, identifying talent, that sort of thing. And what I will say is that as long as Franklin isn't going out there and like, you know, doing the Joe Paterno, calling all three of your timeouts on the first drive against Alabama only to get a field goal thing. Just as long as he's not getting in the way, I'm going to feel pretty good about him. And like, I just don't, uh, if you want to say he's turned the corner as a coach because he's getting out of the way, that's fair. But like, you know, uh, I think we're seeing it with John Harbaugh in the NFL. When decisions work out, you're a good coach. When decisions don't work out, you're considered a bad coach. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if I've ever given this take on the podcast or if this is purely slack. Penn State's a window program. 
And what I mean by that is, if they're going to make the playoffs, it's because they've built to a window year. The non-window programs are Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State, where the window to make the playoff is every year because you spend more, you recruit better. Penn State is like USC, Oklahoma, Michigan, Oregon, Florida State, Texas, Texas A&M if they ever get there. There are these programs that are good enough to make a playoff and maybe win a natty, but it's when they've built the roster into a window that aligns with something that allows them to get there. I think with the way they're recruiting, with Drew Aller, Nick Singleton, Abdul Carter, the recruiting classes that we're stacking, the way they're playing the transfer portal game, I think three, 2023 and 2024 are window years. If you're going to make it, that's the window. 2017 was a window year. 2016 was not a window year. That 16 roster was built for 17 to be the year, and they arrived early. I think we could be heading down a very similar path, depending on how these next three weeks Mm. go, in that this is the year that we're gaining experience and confidence for the window year or years, depending on how long, how well, like things mash if guys even stick around. So I think we're building towards window years and that's all you can ask for because the last window year was five years ago at this point. And for a program like Penn state, the window is going to be about once every five years. Well, the, the thing is that you, ha- how do you change that? You basically do buy into kind of, you know, for lack of a better words, James Franklin's kind of vision of college football, right? Which is that you have to invest to have the, you have to invest to have, if Ohio State is spending 15 million on stuff, you have to spend 15 million in one dollar. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to do all that stuff. And if Penn State's not going to do that, you have to accept you're going to have fewer bites at the apple. Uh, you know, the thing Franklin mentioned about uh, single player dorms or whatever nearly cost them deny Dennis Sutton. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing matters now. So well, to, to me, unless your coach is actively getting in the way all the time, then it's not that, then like that stuff's overrated. Like you can, go down the list of every single coach in the history of the sport of football, except for, you know, maybe Saban, Mm -hmm. maybe Belichick and go, here are the times that they have actively hurt their football team's ability to win a game. So the bigger thing is that big picture stuff. And Franklin seems like he's committed towards help getting that stuff built to Penn state. Pat Kraft seems like he's committed to getting that stuff built, built to Penn state. So for now, yes, I think you're right. And the hope is that, uh, sooner rather than later. And, you know, maybe the football team about 15 minutes that way here in Columbus, Ohio changes, makes that a little bit more difficult, but maybe 10, you know, maybe your window goes from one year to two years Mm -hmm. and you just have that kind of a window. Uh, Maybe you're able to get past Goliath and it gets to, it's just constantly open. Who knows? But I think that, you know, five and oh, Recruiting's going well. Still early in the season. The tough stuff is coming in the coming days. I mean, in the coming weeks. You know, you feel good about the health of the program. But I guarantee, guarantee, if Penn State goes into Ann Arbor and Penn State loses that game, you know, 
35-21, and it's for no reason other than Michigan is better, this conversation goes completely out the window in the eyes of a lot of people. Like, even if the result is bad, yeah. it won't matter if you have good process because it's a pr- results-driven uh, enterprise. That's why I'm doing this as a window. And real quick, before I forget, 20 should have been a window year. 2020 was a window year if the yeah. pandemic didn't happen. Clifford coming off of tw- a great 2019. Journey Brown, Pat Fryermuth, Micah Parsons, Adafi Owe, Shaka Tony. God, that team would have rocked. Um, yeah, 20 was a window year. And uh, this year is building for a window year in 23 and 24. Uh, let's get back. Thank you, everyone, for sending in your hot takes. Let's get into uh, just... Yeah, those are all great. Yeah, let's uh, start to wrap up this podcast first with Game Balls. Uh I how about this? Instead of saying an offensive one and a defensive one, blah blah blah, I will say, Matt, you can hand out three. Who are getting your three game balls, regardless Ooh. of where they play in this game? Hakeem Beeman, my my king has okay. arrived. Great game out of him. Loved what I saw. Brenton Strange is really finding his stride in a really fun and exciting way, and I think we're going to see some fun Theo Johnson things because of Brenton Strange's emergence here in the coming weeks, and. My last one I will give to uh, Jalen Reed. I, I think he's starting to find his home a little bit. Yeah, uh, Theo Johnson, his one catch of the game. Strange only had one catch for 20 yards, and it was it came, it came was uh, Penn State's early touchdown, but I thought he had a nice game as a blocker. And then Theo mm-hmm. Johnson, his one catch was on that weird play where they just kind of, they roll Clifford out uh, far to his right and then like throws it back and has Johnson there. So I thought that was a... Interesting play design. Uh, I'll give mine to PJ Mustafer. I thought the way that he won up front consistently meant whatever chance Northwestern had at running the football just did not exist. I thought Mustafer completely ate. Uh, I'm going to give one to Jake Pinnegar, made both of his extra points, made his only field goal of the game. And I know that Penn State, uh, part of the reason that I was able to feel a little bit less concerned, you know, I was able to breathe a little bit was because Pinniger made his only field goal attempt, which came uh, early on in the fourth quarter. It was a 38 yarder again in nasty conditions, uh, you know, made it a two possession game. And I think he just deserves a lot of credit for that because, you know, Jake Pinniger hasn't always been a guy that you can trust in the kicking game. But so far uh, this season, he's four for six. He's made, uh, he's missed two PATs, but generally been uh, all right. We haven't, I haven't felt like Jake Pinniger is going to be a th- person that costs Penn State games. Uh, the last one, Barney Amore. Like, he's just been outstanding. He has been so good this year mm-hmm. as uh, Penn State's punter. Like, he he's just so good at just pinning teams deep. Uh, Big Ten uh, Special Teams Player of the Week this uh, week. I think he deserves a, I think he deserves a lot of credit for his performance and you know you consistently make Northwestern have to go down a long field they're going to struggle with that so shout out to him um let's end with just this last thing Matt which is you know heading into the bye week now Penn State's five and oh they're uh they're a top 10 team in this crazy sport of college football that we love very much they're number 14th nationally in SP plus one spot ahead of uh, the indomitable Will Levis and the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, just how you feeling so far is where uh, we've reached the opportunity in the season. And we'll we'll talk more about this on pods later in the week. But the first time in the season where we could just like take that collective breath and go, okay, 
let's 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 uh use this weekend to go apple picking or something it's fun it's like a fun season like it's combining the two things i really like in that it's giving these upperclassmen and seniors especially a chance to go out playing some really awesome football pj mustafer barney amore joey porter jr sutherland's getting on the field more uh juice scruggs like it's giving them their chance to go out on a high note hopefully uh, and we're seeing a young infusion of talent, which is making me excited for the future. Like, it's like the perfect marriage of what I want in a college football team. Uh, and, and that's been the coolest part for me. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I don't think that they are a perfect football team by any stretch of the no, imagination. No. Like, I, I think I think they are going to lose two games. They could potentially lose three or more. I mean, we we saw last season how quickly things can spiral from a position of, we're in the top five and we feel pretty good about things. I mean, they went, they were five and zero walking into Kinnick, the number four team in college football. And then because of two injuries, the wheels came off of the entire thing. Uh, but I also think that you shouldn't think about football that way. I don't think you should think about football going, well, if someone gets hurt because like, that's a thing that applies to everything. If CJ Stroud uh, rolls out, and throws the football and plants his left leg awkwardly and tears his ACL. That changes the complexion of Ohio State season completely. If uh, Blake Corum is, you know, he's running around for Michigan, he plants his foot wrong, he does something to his ankle and he's out for the season, that change. Like, this is a thing that exists for everyone. So I just don't think paying too much attention to that is uh, a good, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? is a good use of your time. Yeah. But what I will say is that if this Penn state team stays healthy and continues to go down the trajectory, they're going down, which is a pretty positive and optimistic one. This team should win 10 games and coming into the season, I thought this team was going to win eight games and they have cleared two. They are, they have cleared two of the hurdles that I thought were going to potentially slip them up. Now, they can lose to Michigan. They can lose to Minnesota. They can lose to Ohio State. They can lose to Maryland. I like maybe that's how they get to eight and four on the season. I don't know, but it certainly feels like this team and the program as a whole is in a much better place than I anticipated it being, even you know one month and three days ago. Bill, can I ask you one last question before we get out of here? And if you don't want to answer it, yeah, you can go. go you, you can completely ignore it and just go right into the outro. I just want to get your, your, your thoughts. Cause I asked a friend of the podcast, Stanley about this as well. Okay. What's, what's more likely eight and four or 11 and one. Probably eight and four. Okay. Interesting. And, and that, and that's, that's more because like, I think Ohio state is excellent. And I think Mich like going into Ann Arbor, I'm just never going to feel conf confident in that. So okay. like, like, again, going into this season, I thought they were losing to Michigan and Ohio State. I still think they are losing to Michigan and Ohio State. So just like the general premise of that question, I would say it is more likely that, you know, when they have when they take punches from a Minnesota team that when they have Mohamed Ibrahim in there, they're a really dangerous football team. From a Maryland team that I don't know if they're good week to week, if they're good 
play to play if they're good week to week. But I know if you get them on the wrong week, they're going to throw throw the football on you and score points. Um, even if I you know, think very highly of Penn State secondary. So I would say eight and four in all likelihood. I, and I know you think it's 11 and one, right? Correct. What, what makes you say that? If they go eight and four, they have to lose two of the, the five quote unquote winnable games, the whiteout at night against Minnesota. Are you, do you think that's toss up or you think Penn State's going to be a double digit favorite? I think Penn State will be a favorite in that game. Uh, I need to know more about the health of Mohamed Ibrahim, and I want to see what they do against an Illinois team that I think is really tough. Yeah, Uh, but they get him at home. I want to see what they do having to go to Illinois the week before the whiteout. Nope, nope. Illinois. Oh, 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 I thought you were talking about Illinois. Yeah, they get him at home. Don't don't get me wrong. I think Penn State wins that game, Mm -hmm. but if you're asking me if I think it's more likely that – Penn State loses this game or Penn State beats Ohio State, I would go down. I would say Penn State loses this game. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah. I don't, I just don't, I don't see, I just can't see him losing at home to Minnesota at home against Maryland. Rutgers is terrible, but respectable slowly. Michigan State's fraudulent. Indiana's bad. Like I can't, I can't see them losing one of those games just with, with how, cause it, if they were to lose those games, they would have lost to Northwestern with how that game went. I think this solidified that 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 take to me that this is more likely to go uh, eleven and one than eight mm. and four because I think they can steal they could steal one. It, James Franklin in year nine has to steal one here, uh, not in like a job security sense, but in that like you can shut up a lot of people if you steal one of Michigan or Ohio State. I I don't I don't know about that. I think Franklin is I think Franklin is one of those coaches that people have had their opinions on from day one. I am from back in his SEC days, and I think that he's uh you know, I I I don't think that changes that I mean think about the 2016 team. Like the 2016 team did exactly what they had to do. Like they did everything that you expect Penn, James Franklin to have to do in order to start shutting people up. And then what happened? 2017, they lose that game to Ohio State. The chirping comes back out. They lose to Michigan State the week later. It's back out in full force. So I like I agree with your general stance, but uh, this is a broader conversation about Franklin that we can have some other time. Maybe yeah. maybe this is off-season content. Yeah. I don't know, but I think he's a guy that a lot of people – I think I think he's a guy that a lot of people have made up their minds on him. And, you know, even if he goes 15-0 and and wins a national championship, I don't think he's going to be a guy who changes a lot of minds anytime soon. But that's a conversation for another day. Uh, Matt, any final thoughts before I wrap up this pod? That's all I got. Enjoy the bye week. We'll be back uh, some point this week with some uh, some fun midweek minis, if you want to call them that. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to figure out some fun stuff to do during uh, during this week off. If you decide just ignore football for the next couple of days, you should do that. It's going to be fun. We have some fun stuff uh, come up in the cards next week for Penn State's game against Michigan as well. Be on the lookout for that. But for now, as always, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of the podcast. As always, make sure you are subscribing wherever you go and get your podcast. Head to the link tree link in our Twitter bio for the list of everywhere you can go to get the pod. If you're using a podcasting service where you can, please rate and give us a five-star review. Please keep make sure you're giving us a follow us follow on our Twitter account. And again, one more time, if you use the promo code Roar Lions Roar, one word, all uppercase, for your first order at Homefield Apparel, you can get 15% off. 
one last time, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. For my co-host, Matt Filippovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.